This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. We woke up Sunday morning to the news of another mass shooting in Colorado, this time apparently targeting the LGBTQ plus community in Colorado Springs. We don't know much at this point, except that five people are dead and at least 25 are injured, and that this attack comes after months of anti-queer rhetoric from Republicans in the lead up to the midterms. My guest today is Springs-based journalist Heidi Beadle. She's been covering the shooting and reports on far-right extremism for the Colorado Times Recorder. Today is Monday, November 21st, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Heidi Beadle, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thanks for having me. So Heidi, can you just tell me about what we know so far about what happened on Saturday night at Club Q? Yeah, so according to the Colorado Springs Police Department, um, they received a call for, you know, shots fired at around 11.57 p.m. They had the suspect in custody by 12.02 a.m. Um, at the club, um, you know, guy came in and started shooting um, people stood up and confronted him, um, were able to kind of subdue and detain him. But in the interim, five people were killed. And I think the latest reports are 25 people have been injured. Mm. I think it's important too to point out, like you just said, that folks in the club, club goers were the ones that subdued him until police got there. Yeah. With that, I will have Car Springs Police Department Chief Adrian Vasquez well, good morning, everybody. Thank you uh, for being here on this tragic day. I want to first express my condolences to those families who have lost I know that you were also with the community as they gathered on Sunday at All Souls Unitarian Church to mourn and, and really come together. What did you hear from folks? People are just really devastated. You know, it's shocking. It's, you know, Club Q was not just, you know, a nightclub or a bar, but it was really kind of a community hub down here in Colorado Springs. It's a pretty conservative city. We have focus on the family. We have, um, you know, Andrew Womack over in Woodland Park. So Club Q was kind of a community hub. It was a place where people could gather. It was a place where people could feel safe and be themselves. Um, you know, it was was a central community spot. I remember in 2016, after the Pulse nightclub shooting, they held a big vigil at Club Q. And it was, you know, one of the first kind of big community events that I went to after, um, you know, coming out as trans and stuff. And, you know, it just has a central place in the community's heart. And what happened last night was just a, a tragic 
traumatizing, awful event, um, and people are just reeling from tremendous loss, and um, it's really, it's it's hard to describe it. Club Q is a safe haven for our LGBTQ citizens. Every citizen has the right to feel safe and secure in our city, to go about our beautiful city without fear of being harmed or treated poorly. So you just mentioned Andrew Womack and Focus on the Family. And yesterday, the chief of the Colorado Springs police referred to Club Q as, quote, a haven for our LGBTQ citizens. Can you just talk a little bit more about sort of the culture of the city in relationship to how the queer community exists there as well? You know, I've covered kind of the midterm elections, right? And, you know, in in kind of the run-up to, like, the primaries and everything, um, we've seen this kind of increase in antagonistic rhetoric around LGBT people, um, particularly, uh, you know, transgender individuals. Um, and to kind of give you an example, in May, there was this big um, kind of Christian event called Hold the Line. Um, they had Sean Fuked, uh, who's like this like Christian singer, youth pastory guy, um, but who's got like ties to the Proud Boys and has been involved in a lot of um, kind of extremist adjacent sort of organizing. But he he led the event, and you had Eric Metaxas, who's um, also extremely like anti LGBT and also one of the defendants in the Coomer defamation trial for the Dominion voting systems conspiracy theories. And so they were all part of this hold the line event, and you also had. Three elected officials from El Paso County who are there, Stan Vanderwerf, who's an El Paso County commissioner, Dave Donaldson, who's a city councilor, and Aaron Salt, who's on the Academy School District 20 school board. And they all did like a panel. And, you know, Donaldson, when he was up there, he was kind of bragging about how he shut down this like trans policy that would have um, required buildings in the city to offer like gender neutral bathrooms. And he also kind of bragged about, um, you know, how he was sort of mean to the outgoing library director who left after they appointed, you know, Aaron Salt and another really conservative voice to the library board, you know, so so it's kind of an antagonistic relationship, I would say. I mean, it's definitely very conservative, you know, in El Paso County, all three of our county commissioners are Republican, you know, most of the city council skews conservative, um, our mayor is a Republican, the Republican Party in, in recent years, I mean, it's always, it's never really been a friend to the LGBT community. Um, But in recent years, they've really embraced this kind of, you know, anti-trans, anti-LGBT rhetoric um, that's been incredibly concerning. Yeah. And I I just think it's important for folks to understand that, that this is like entrenched in the culture in Colorado Springs. But in recent, you know, we've seen in the last election, even how much that anti-trans rhetoric in particular has really ramped up. And um, you tweeted after news of the shooting broke, quote, the last year has been a concerted effort to demonize LGBTQ people as, quote, groomers or worse. Colorado Springs Police Department has not released a motive for last night's shooting. But for queer people, it seems like a natural consequence of the political environment. Heidi, can you expand on what you meant by that? Certainly. I, so when you talk about grooming, it's the process by which, you know, a sexual predator or a pedophile um isolates and identifies and kind of prepares their victim for sexual exploitation. Um, You know, and and 
on the right, the rhetoric is kind of like that. Um, well, it's like conservative podcast guy, Joe Oltman. He says, you know, teachers are recruiting kids to be gay. Um, so it's this idea that the LGBT community is forcing its way into public institutions, into schools, um, into the media. And it is um, actively like recruiting children and and causing what they call, you know, gender confusion and making them question their sexual orientation, right? There's absolutely no belief that, um, you know, gender identity or sexual orientation is some kind of innate thing that is just a part of who a person is, right? It's always the fault of, you know, some gay teacher, some gay media figure or something like that. So, you know, this rhetoric has really taken hold. And not only is it used to kind of make gay people seem scary, but it's also kind of a way to label them as sexual predators, as pedophiles, you know, and this is the same sort of rhetoric, you know, that was applied in the 90s and the 80s during um, those eras of increased homophobia. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So, Heidi, you're a reporter living in Colorado Springs, and you've been covering the aftermath of this shooting, but you also regularly cover far-right extremism and these politicians who have been really going hard on this sort of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. But I also know you as a trans parent who's raising children in Colorado Springs. Stepping out of your reporter role, how do you handle this as, as a, a person in this community? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it's really... <sighs> hard and um you know i just i i do my best it's incre- it's so incredibly hard you know i mean i i have kids in elementary school and i chaperoned you know my son's field trip recently and i was so just like anxious about the whole thing and i was like oh my god what if someone says something what if you know it it becomes this thing you know, and, and I've worked, you know, I was before I became a journalist, I was a high school English teacher. And, you know, I, I've worked with youth for, for most of my professional career. Um, and what's happened within the last like two to three years is just horrifying. And it's, you know, it was always kind of 
a sensitive subject, but at this point, it's just it's terrifying. And the way that this rhetoric has just seeped into mainstream discourse, you know, Tucker Carlson and these people on Fox News, like it's not just like Rush Limbaugh and AM radio or things like that. Like it's, it's pretty much everywhere. And a lot of the, you know, mainstream media sources kind of presented as like a both sides thing. And you have the New York Times running these like ridiculous opinion pieces about, well, are too many children transitioning when, you know, it's like a an increase from like 238 to 280 within like three years. And they're making this like huge deal about it. And it's just it's dangerous and it's terrifying and um, it's really hard. Yeah. I, I try not to think about it too much outside of the work that I do. <laughs> to be quite honest. So you brought up the rhetoric. And I I wonder, can you help me make a connection here between all of this rhetoric that's been ramping up and what we saw happen in a a queer club in Colorado Springs? Yeah, I mean, the right-wing media sphere, right? You have guys like Joe Oldman, you have libs of TikTok, you have the Tucker Carlson's, you have, you know, the popularization of this term, uh, groomers, and that's led to to protests around drag queen events. We've seen it here in Colorado at Highlands Ranch a couple months ago, where we had Representative Dave Williams down here in Colorado Springs and Representative Mark Baisley um, in Douglas County raising concerns about groomers. And, and those protests have been happening kind of nationwide. There was an incident in Oklahoma where a donut shop that had hosted a drag event was vandalized and somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building. And then, um, you know, there's an incident recently in in Idaho where a transgender woman who works in a library, like a, a librarian, was like harassed by this crazy guy because she was trans and just doing her job. And we've had similar situations here in Denver. Um, a lot of the extreme far right, um, the kind of the the Nazis, I mean, for lack of a better term. And when I say that, I mean, these guys were former members of the Traditionalist Worker Party, which was literally a neo-Nazi group. So it's not like just liberal hyperbole here. But you, you've you had these guys kind of organizing and against the LGBT community and they'll they'll come out and they'll wear helmets and shields and, and outrageous things. And they did that at Mile High Comics, you know, a couple of years ago and they, they did it with the Proud Boys and now it's kind of coming back into style. You can see see these things just just intensifying right and it goes from you know the vandalism to the protests to this kind of stochastic terrorism it's a lone wolf it was one guy there's one suspect but it's coming out of this entire like ecosystem that is pushing people to believe that transgender people, that LGBT people, that gay people pose an existential danger to children or to Western civilization. And it is encouraging them to engage in these acts of violence. Hmm. I'm also just thinking of this visual that you've painted where we've, you know, for instance, like the Mile High Comics situation. So you've got a bunch of like uh, Nazi dudes in helmets and, you know what I mean, in shields. And they're up against um, some families and kids getting together with drag performers to read books and h- hang out. Like, I-, I feel like people don't understand like how dangerous this. It's not just that the language exists there that's dangerous. It's what's what what families are being presented with in their everyday lives. Yeah, and a lot of these groups say also. I mean, the vast majority of 
drag queen story hour events are very, very boring. I took my kids <laughs> to one here in Colorado Springs a few years ago and I was, you know, it, it wasn't. It's uneventful. Yeah, it was just, you know, a drag queen, which is interesting, you know, appearance wise. But yeah, reading a book, you know, th- they take a lot of things out of context and there's all kinds of various other events where, you know, there's dancing or, or kind of performative sort of runway walking or whatever. And they take these things out of context and they try to present it as, you know, again, this like sort of awful thing that people are doing. And it's led in states like Texas to these proposed bills to ban any sort of drag performance or anything like that. But it's just, you know, it's awful. And, you know, these these kind of events are simply I mean, it's it's not like they're like forcing children into them, right. you know, like people self-select that they want to go see this, you know, there's this weird fantasy that the right has that like parents are like forcing kids to be trans, right. Or that there's some kind of like forced feminization happening where they're just like making these little boys wear dresses. And it's, it's so insane and absurd. And it would be funny if it, again, if it wasn't priming people for violence against a marginalized community. Well, Heidi Beetle, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The Sand Creek Massacre. History Colorado's new exhibit opened this past weekend with tribal representatives and descendants of victims of the 1864 massacre in attendance. The exhibit opens amid a decades-long shift in historical thinking on Sand Creek, which could also lead to a name change for Mount Evans. The Clear Creek County 14er was so named for Territorial Governor John Evans, who was one of the old white dudes responsible for the killing of hundreds of Cheyenne and Arapaho women, children, and elders. According to the Colorado Sun, Colorado's Geographic Naming Advisory Board voted unanimously last week to strip his name from the mountain and replace it with Mount Blue Sky. The recommendation now goes to Governor Jared Polis, and if he agrees, the U.S. Board on Geographic Names will have the final say. Meanwhile, we have a resolution in the Frisch-Bobert race to represent Southern and Western Colorado. Frisch exceeded expectations in the race, and it looked like he had enough votes to qualify for an automatic recount, but he conceded to Bobert on Friday morning. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city.